Welcome to the Food Lens Podcast. I'm your host, Katherine Smart, New England food writer and founder of The Not Just Company. And I'm your host, Molly Ford, co-founder of The Food Lens, your online resource for the best restaurants, bars, and events in Boston. On each episode of our podcast, we chat with restaurant industry insiders, digging into business, passion projects, and food trends to see what's shaping the New England restaurant scene. On today's episode, we're chatting with Juan Ma Calderon and Maria Rondo, owners of our favorite little Peruvian restaurant in Union Square, Celeste. Hey guys, before we get started with our interview, I want to tell you about Image Unlimited Communications, a PR agency that cares about restaurants just as much as we do. This Boston-based firm has a unique and effective personalized approach, and they've got the local and national media clips to prove it. With a sharp focus on lifestyle, restaurants, and consumer goods, the agency has the contacts and the hustle to get you the placements that really move the needle for your brand. Whether you're looking for help with public relations, event planning, digital marketing, or social media, Image Unlimited Communications is here to help. Check them out at www.iucboston.com. That's iucboston.com. Hi, Molly. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm excited to be in studio, and I'm excited to talk to the owners, uh, Juan Ma and Maria. Me too. It's, you know, such an awesome, tiny Peruvian restaurant that packs a big punch with the way they like to party. And (laughs) I love it there. So if it was in my hood, I would be a regular. Yeah, it's dangerously close to my house. Every time I go for like a dog walk or I'm out with my kids, I'm just, there's like a gravitational pull where I just want to go in there for a Pisco Sour. Yeah, just pop in for a quick one. (laughs) (laughs) I'm excited to hear about, you know, the restaurant. Um, I also want to learn from them how to throw such a great party because the restaurant actually started as like a pop-up in their house and then evolved into this sort of real brick and mortar restaurant. I know. I read about that and I'm totally intrigued. How do you, you know, really take the plunge of going into the real restaurant world from dinner parties at your house? How many people say like, oh, you're such a great cook. You should open a restaurant. And usually the response would be like, no, you absolutely shouldn't open a restaurant. (laughs) That's a terrible idea. And these guys managed to pull it off. Definitely. I can't wait to hear from them. Thanks so much for coming in. We're so excited to have you here. We would have brought cocktails, but we're not allowed I to know. in here. I'm going to ask Kevin about that rule. <laughs> Maybe it's a don't ask, don't tell rule. I mean, I have a swell bottle yeah, that works right? perfect for wine. Keeps it nice and cold. <laughs> so, Maria, everybody says that, you know, eating at Celeste is like being in a party at your home. And I know that the genesis of the restaurant, at least I've heard this, is that uh, you started doing these pop-ups in your house. So can you talk a little bit about that evolution of going from just having dinner parties at home to this, you know, full-fledged restaurant with James Beard nods and everything else? Yes, we started um, in 2014, uh, in a way, to bring people together, like as a way of bringing friends together, um, also just a a job in general so we decided we would do these dinner parties so we started out doing lunches thinking that well we knew I had a lot of people that know from school from my kids school the the moms didn't have anything to do in the day or if they had a bit of time they could come over we could cook for them have a good time idea of bringing people together Um, that was always at the heart of it and then we started doing the dinner parties and they started just taking off and it was a lot of fun and we would just post it online and people would respond immediately um, and it started, it had its own kind of life that started expanding and expanding and friends and friends of friends. And But um, it, it started... Out of control. <laughs> <laughs> it started to get out of control. That's how you know you're onto something. You want to get out of control. 
Yeah, when you find someone that you don't know and he's opening your fridge and looking for the last beer. And <laughs> <laughs> who's this guy? <laughs> yeah, so yeah, we need to we need to think more seriously about this. So back when you had the the supper clubs at your house, how do those dinners work? Like I know uh, the regulations can be a little bit tricky with payment. Uh, did you have a menu planned out weeks in advance or how did you pull those off? We would cook and we would have a menu we would publish and we would have a suggested donation. Ah, so okay. we never actually charged anybody, but we would ask that the donation come in to, you know, compensate for costs. Basically. Sure. We even not received the money, put the money in the... We had a spice drawer, so we wouldn't touch the money ever. <laughs> we would, people would go in, and it was an honor system. They would pull the spice drawer open, and they would just drop it in there. And at the, at the end of the night, we would just see a pile of bills <laughs> floating in the spices. <laughs> you need to write, like, a whole manifesto of creating Celeste, because it's so amazing. Like, you just think about all, like, the data and craziness that goes into opening a restaurant. You're like, well, we have four burners, which was, like, four burners at home, and we have the spice drawer with the money, and we have... 20 <laughs> Seats. 24 yeah, seats. It's the same. <laughs> yeah, I just like love this seat of the pants. The is, yeah, it'll work out. Uh, 24 seats, it was every two weeks or every month, so now it's every day. And a few times. Yeah, a day. you must yeah. turn more than once a, <laughs> yeah. a night. So. Yeah. We also, one of the ways I think that we were able to be brave to do this is that we opened it as a five year project. Not because we have a five year lease, just because conceptually we couldn't imagine that this was our life. I mean, we're not restaurant people that we've been doing this all our life. So, and we did, we do see it as a project, as an art project. So the idea that we would start and then would have kind of a, a, a termination date. Um, we're still holding on to that date. <laughs> so, but, Crying over here on the other side but, of the table. <laughs> but it was something that because we knew there was kind of a start and an end date, it didn't seem so overwhelming that it would just take over our life forever. It was something that we could approach, give everything we can to it, kind of put everything into it, and then That's a really think, think of the next project. <laughs> way to look at everything. Yeah, it is. So when did you decide to take the plunge to open the so real restaurant? It was actually, we were traveling a lot uh, the summer of 2017. And because we like to travel a lot and the flexibility of having the dinner parties was also part of kind of the plan that we could do them whenever we were available, when we were around, and then we could still travel. So nothing too formal. But we did travel for a long time that summer. And we thought, you know what, maybe we're ready to just settle down and focus on this as a project. So we looked into it. It happened very fast. Um, we could see 24 people at our house, and we knew that we could at least serve 24 people because it's something that we had done together before. So we looked for a small space that could basically the parameters were seat 24, and we found this perfect location. It was the first thing I looked online. I had no idea how much anything would cost. It was empty. There was nothing going on there, and we said, this is perfect. And so it we, we basically, within four months, we were pretty much open. Wow. We just took, we, when we did make a decision, we just take it all the way. So we started going through the process. We applied for the liquor license. That was the one condition on the, for the lease before we signed the lease. But we basically immediately decided that's the one. Um, and we went through the process, the design, thinking of how the small space could feel akin to where what we were used to and what we wanted to create as a, as a public space. So as an architect, it was a, for me, it was a, an interesting challenge to create a space that would feel as if it were a home um, that became kind of like a, just an experiment of how do you not only design a space, but really animate it in a way that keeps it going all the time. 
So, so a small place that packs a big punch exactly. for a party. <laughs> <laughs> I loved the vibe when I had dinner at Celeste. You guys really know how to nail the music, the food, the art, and the overall ambiance is just incredible. Can you tell us a little bit about how you created this space? So the because of our backgrounds, architecture, film, art, we did an art project in Guatemala for many years. We had an art residency. So we really have always been interested in kind of bringing people together and within a space to do, you know, multidisciplinary kind of interesting kind of creative collaborative projects. So the idea of the space also opened up Celeste was also to bring people together in that way. So we worked with our friend who's an artist at MassArt, Juan Obando. He designed our logo. He designed our website. Um, and he has kind of, he does a lot with visual and kind of digital art. So that was great. So we immediately kind of started working through that. We had the thought of um, working with artists that would be invited. So we have Cherman Quino who did a wallpaper for a bathroom. That is all the portraits of the Peruvian poets, kind of important figures in literature, music, uh, writing. Um, he has a whole series of that, which we included in, in our project. And right now we have a, a photo exhibit. So the idea was that Celeste, kind of in reverse of what we had in Guatemala, which is a very large open space among ruins, this was a tiny urban space um, where we could bring people together with the same intensity, but just kind of different scale. So oh, we have a piece by Daniela Rivera, who we've collaborated in the past, um, and she does, did the, the bullet piece that's hanging up above. So we worked with artists from the beginning, and so art was important. How, how many square feet is it? So it's 620. Okay. Yeah, total, including the downstairs like prep area. Like a New York apartment. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and so the idea was that um, the space would be divided with the ceviche and the bar at the center, the heart of it, and the ceviche would be really as a performance for the space. And so everything else kind of faces and acknowledges that, and everything comes together. And of course, you have Radio Celeste. Radio Celeste, Juanma, you want to talk about the music? Yeah, Juan Obando designed uh, into the webpage a little piece of radio with some cumbia. And yeah, everybody everybody loves it. So I start to create a a playlist for for Celeste. The playlist is in, in Spotify. They call Celeste Rica Musica. There are, and we create some um, boleros, salsa, cumbia. In Peru, cumbia, it's a big deal. It's a very popular music. Cumbia maybe come from Colombia. And uh, it depends the the area, the geographic area. In Peru, we have uh, the coast in front of the ocean. We have the Andes. And behind the Andes, there are the mountains, the jungle, the Amazon. So... The most popular in the 70s or 60s it was the Colum- uh, cumbia amazonica, the cumbia from from the people in the in in the jungle in the Amazon, and then it's another kind of cumbia in in Lima. It was the cumbia for the people who immigrate from the Andes to Lima. They create a new a new sound, a new, but it's basically the same uh, same same genero. My three-year-old loves it. I actually pulled it up when I was researching, uh, when I was writing an article about you guys at one point, and I just like kept it going, and my three-year-old was very into it, and so we just listened. We kept that browser tab open for a really long time. I love it, too. I want to play it at my dinner party. Yeah, it makes me really happy. (laughs) So everyone should listen to Radio Celeste when you get a chance. (laughs) Exactly. 
Um, but I'm interested in hearing more about your background, Wanma, and, you know, didn't you learn some of your cooking from your, your grandmother and mother? Yeah, I, I've been cooking all, most of my life uh, since I was a kid. Uh, I was lucky because uh, I can spend the mornings with my mom. I have to go to school in the afternoon, so I spend the mornings with, with my mom. So I have to go with her every day to the to the market and help him and help her in the in the kitchen. So that's when I I suppose everything starts because now then I learn how to go to the market, how to look for better prices, better quality, and how to feed a lot of people. So that's basically what my mom do. Yeah, and then when I grow up, I cook for my for my friends. So and then when I came here, I cook because. Yeah, we. I need. Uh, I need more parties. So I. <laughs> we all do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we all need more parties. So <laughs> Me basically, too. those are my mom recipes, my grandma recipes, my grandpa recipes. Catherine, I have some exciting news. Remember our season one sponsor, Weinster. Yes, how could I forget? They curate great wines from small producers in the U.S. You browse their collection of unique, hard-to-find wines, and then they ship it straight to your door with fast, cheap delivery. Yep, that's right. But the exciting news is that they're officially opening their doors to their showroom in Seaport this spring. What do you mean a showroom? Can you buy the wine there? Well, you can purchase wine and join the wine club in the showroom, but you can't walk out with wine. They always ship orders direct to your door. Convenient, right? They host small groups interested in learning more about Weinster and the wineries in their portfolio for wine consultations at no cost. An expert wine consultant will lead the group through a curated menu of five wines and educate the group on each pour and the amazing small producers that make them. Guests will also learn about the many ways to purchase these typically hard-to-find wines, either by the bottle, through the wine club, or with many gifting options on the Weinster site. Um, that sounds amazing. When are we going? I think we're overdue for a wine date now that I'm not pregnant. Totally agree. I can't wait to check it out with you. The complimentary 90-minute wine consultations are by appointment only at the showroom, so let's get on it. If you're interested in learning more, head to www.weinster.com. That's W-I-N-E-S-T-Y-R.com. And for people who haven't had Peruvian food before, I want to talk a little bit about chifa because I think it is so delicious and so interesting, this mix of uh, Chinese-Peruvian cuisine, and you guys feature it on the on the menu. So could you talk a little bit about <laughs> the chifa dishes and what? Okay. Uh, it's a little, a, little, a little bit of story or history? It's a little bit of both <laughs> things. So at the same time when the Chinese people came to America... They con- came from the same place in China, uh, Canton. Um, yeah, so a lot of people came to Peru to replace the uh, the workers in the farmers or in because the black slaves already they have a uh, they have the freedom, so they they need people to work in it. So they they start to bring people from China, and yeah, so my grand grand grandfather was one of those guys who came in one of those um, ships uh, from China to, to, to Peru. And I lost my 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 last name because uh, because they're working in this uh, big uh, farm. They go out with the name of the owner of the farm. Oh, so, wow. yeah, no, no, my last name is lost. The original, the Chinese. So, yeah, I have to investigate a little bit more of this. Yeah, but the, uh, so I saw 
my grandpa cooking all the time with a big pan, uh, salting things, salting noodles. And um, yeah, I, my mom and I, I, and I, we're always very proud about our Chinese descent. So in Peru, uh, we have different kind of food and we have Chinese food, which is they have uh, the whole name, which is chifa. And they're not Chinese uh, properly. They're not Peruvian properly. It's just a fusion of things. So, um, yeah, I don't know if you so, can say something. So, like I think about like lomo saltado, would that be considered chifa cuisine? So yeah. it's this, yeah. you know, you for people who haven't had it before, you find soy sauce and ginger in these sort of unexpected places when you bite into the steak or... Um, so what's really beautiful about the chifa is that it's basically there because of this huge influx of Chinese uh, population during the 1800s, um, they combine beautifully. It's a fusion of the two cultures and it's become its own cuisine, which is the chifa. So we feature it, for example, that lomo saltado is a classic and it's one of Peru's most classic dishes, but it is a Chinese Peruvian kind of combination that has become, you know, quintessentially a Peruvian dish, which is that beautiful combination of the two, which become the Peruvian food. So there's that. The, the sudado de pescado is another one. It's uh, basically a steamed fish that has the ginger and the snow peas and the scallions and a bit of soy sauce and combined with a bit of the yellow pepper, which is the basis of all of Peruvian food is at ají amarillo. That's one so, of my oh. favorite dishes on your menu, <laughs> that steamed fish. Yeah, because it's light. And it's, so basically it has the combination of the two cultures coming together. And then there's also things like the el chaufa de mariscos, which mm -hmm. is the basically a Chinese fried rice with right. all the seafood in it. But it has the oyster sauce and soy sauce and all the, as well as the ají amarillo and everything else that is particularly Peruvian. Ah, so okay. it's, it's a basically a beautiful fusion of the two things. I have a beautiful story about the uh, steamed fish. So when we start Celeste, and we don't know that much about asking the los pedidos. Oh, the ordering from ordering, our, from, from our or, distributors. Ordering <laughs> fish. So we decide what is going to be the fish for the, for the ceviche. So we, we choose a blue cut. And well, so we order it, and they come with the skin. So at the end, we have a lot, a lot of uh, fish with the skin, and we we cannot use it because we 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 need the we need it for ceviche, which is without skin. So and in that moment, I have something like a I don't know what it could be for me. It was like, it's like a miracle because in that moment, I remember my my grandpa doing the doing the that fish. And uh, yeah, that's uh, and and it wasn't not even in the in the into the original menu, but now uh, and because that thing happened, yeah, it came and stay, wow. and that remind me my my grand my grandfather every 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 t all the time. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you approach the whole project, like you said, as this artistic kind of endeavor, you know, and that's a really romantic way to think about something ending up on the menu is you just sort of being stuck by this, struck by divine inspiration from your grandfather. <laughs> yep. So you guys have, you know, food and music and art and this awesome vibe, uh, which needs cocktails as well. <laughs> so can you tell us a little bit about the cocktail program at Celeste? <laughs> 
<laughs> I mean, it's a party, right? What's a party without That's some alcohol? Right. <laughs> yeah, it's very, it's very. Um, the story is very similar than the other one with the fish because we are ready to open and we don't have a, uh, we don't have a pisco sour in the menu. The way we started, we were opening that day, and somebody came in, and he's like, "Are you guys open yet?" And I said, oh, I'm so sorry, running late. Of course, we were running late. We thought we would open for lunch. <laughs> we weren't going to make it. Like when your friends show up, yeah, like, yeah, exactly. you're like, just get yourself a drink. <laughs> I need to put on my makeup and, like, finish this dish. He's like, I just read about you in the Eater uh, um, review, little write-up, that you were about to open. And my boss, I, I work around the corner. My boss sent me to say hi because I'm from Peru. I'm like, oh, that's great. You work at a restaurant. He's like, yeah. Um, yeah, I was coming by and I said, oh, I'm so sorry, can you come over for dinner? He's like, yeah, well, I was actually also wondering if you needed help. I'm like, oh my God, we don't have a waiter. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing tonight? <laughs> yeah, but so, that's, that's, that boss was really regretting sending him over to say hi. He's like, yeah, yeah. We, we share, we okay. share. <laughs> yeah, but the thing, I also knows how to make the pisco sour. And then he looked at our menu and he's like, wait, you don't have a pisco sour on the menu. And so he introduced it that, that very day. Oh, wow. Y postres. And the desserts. This is Pirolimeño. So he also comes. This is Tomás. He also makes the, the desserts for us. Wow. Yeah. yeah he completes the, the Don't menu. let him go. Seriously. <laughs> <laughs> what a great addition to the team. <laughs> but uh, we are, now we have uh, Ed, who's amazing, and he's the, our bar manager, and he has basically uh, perfected a, m- a number of our different drinks, and he's done amazing things, kind of infusing the pisco and the mezcal to make combinations. So we have a full, beautiful cocktail menu that we rotate, and we kind of keep ad- adding, adding things to it. And as well as the wine, all natural wine um, list, which mm. is small but um, small but mighty. Yeah. <laughs> in, in case anyone doesn't know about pisco sours, which are like these quintessential Peruvian drinks, can you just explain what what goes into a, a pisco sour? So pisco is um, is a made with is the Peruvian liquor. It's a um, it's a spirit. It's made with grapes. So some people compare it to uh, grappa. It could also be thought of as a brandy. Um, and basically what it is, is for the pisco sour, it's a combination of, uh, I'm not sure exactly the proportions, but the pisco, uh, simple syrup, egg white, which is beaten, and then uh, it's and you finish it off with bitters. Mm. So that all comes together beautifully. Yes, yeah, so beautifully. We featured it last week as our cocktail of the week on the food lens. <laughs> and now I'm craving one right now. Yes. <laughs> so you just mentioned Tomas and Ed, and Celeste is pretty small. So could you tell us if the team has grown at all and, and what everyone's roles are now? We have somebody that basically comes in every morning to do the prep of the long the, the slow cooking stews. Um, and that was also what that those stews are what we used to cook for our meals at home because it was something we could and basically Juanma I would just help um, prepare early in the morning the longer you wait the better they taste because all the flavors come together and then when people we had 24 people seated we could just serve that easily so we knew that those that was part of the architecture of the space is that we know it was small we have only four burners in our space so basically we knew that 50 50 chance that people would order the stew which is pretty (laughs) made already and that we'd have four burners left to prepare the the you know the, the ready to order uh, meals. So we have somebody that comes in the morning. When we're open, we open at five. Um, there's the ceviche maker, uh, somebody at the at the burner, 
the dishwasher and another prep person, and the um, and then we have a bartender and two servers. So that's our staff for the night, and we are I think we're up to twelve people right now. And we're basically the same team since the beginning. And we're the ta same team as day one. Nobody's left. Wow. Yeah. So we just keep adding one. A couple have added, you know, in the last few months. But basically, it's the whole, the team is original. Yeah. You could, um, maybe that's your real money maker is uh, selling that as a seminar because restaurant turnover <laughs> is really, really rough. Um, and that, that's really wonderful that you've been able to keep your team intact. So our next question comes from one of our Instagram followers. So Luis messaged us and he wants to know if you guys have any plans to expand. Yeah, we already say not to a, a few things that they, they come to offer us. And we say not because we're not ready. We're still learning. And... Uh, yeah, then we can dream. We can have dreams, and uh, one of those dreams was a, a house close to the to the to the ocean. But the, because the global warming and that stuff, it was a very you know the the, the property could be cheap, but the insurance uh, they're higher. So so we 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 <laughs> moved to the mountains to Vermont, <laughs> and this this well is gonna be our next our next project. So basically the idea is that we have a house that where people kind of going back to the roots of where we all started, um, having people come and dine and stay at the house. Wow. wow. That's cool. That's Molly next level. Molly and I were thinking the exact thing. We're like, well, we're going to have to go stay. We're going to have to write up a little escape about that. Two months trip. <laughs> so it's 24, again, 24. Um, it's five bedrooms, so 10 people can stay. Uh, and we, the idea is to invite a chef that can stay. And so we, we also rotate chefs. So we would be the chef one month, but kind of have a program of 12, chefs a year and people can plan and come and and stay and visit and hang out with the chef and the chef would cook amazing home cooked meal obviously one turn and basically stay for and enjoy the rest of the evening wow, wow. that sounds, sounds like a lot of fun absolutely thrilling yeah. kind of like an operational nightmare and i'm very happy that it's you guys <laughs> taking it on because if anyone can do it it's you guys with your free spirit that is so exciting for me like a reality <laughs> You're gonna make a TV show. Yeah, it should be a reality <laughs> television show. Yeah, one mountain, one house, one chef, and what? ten bedrooms. <laughs> and what part of Vermont is it in? That's hilarious. <laughs> it's Andover, Vermont, which is close to Chester, uh, very close to Okemo, between Okemo and Bromley. Okay, and is this gonna be a year-round? We're still deciding on yep. those details, but um, it, if it, it might be a year round, or it could just be during kind of the more uh, accessible months, okay. um, maybe May through November, something like that, sure. because it gets a little bit tricky there. And dare I ask, uh, anticipated? <laughs> I knew that was. Good. <laughs> yeah, we're we're, we're hoping to to launch either May or June of next year. So it's currently under construction, and um, yeah, getting it all set up. So we'll announce the programming at some point in the spring. And so we can, yeah, pair it with wine. Yeah. Well, I can't wait already. Yeah, very <laughs> exciting. I am interested, though. So you guys started this, you know, version of Celeste in your own home. And then you opened Celeste about a year and a half ago now, right? Yes. What are some of the biggest challenges that you faced in opening the real deal? I mean, not having done this before, we've it's basically been a huge lear learning curve. Um, I don't that that of course is a challenge, but we're pretty easygoing, so we just take it all 
kind of step by step. Um, we didn't know anything. I mean, we literally did not even have a waiter the day that we opened. <laughs> I, I used That's to serve the food at Criollo, so at, at home. So it, I figured I could handle it. You know, so everything is a different scale. So working with people has been a huge, and all the, the rules, the regulations, the the permitting, everything. I mean, it's new for everybody at one point. But um, when you're in the middle of it and you're trying to solve everything at once, it is uh, a bit overwhelming. But we've been we've been lucky. We have such an amazing team. I also think that the scale, having a space that is so small, and basically. We're serving 24 people. It's not a huge operation. You, it is controllable. It is something that we can handle. That we and then nothing is the end of the world. And th- th- for example, the, the the reservations at the beginning, I used to have a little map, you know, like an architect, and I would map out who all the reservations. I would listen to the phone calls and 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 take reservations by phone. And it, it was it was complicated. It was a nightmare. <laughs> but. Um, <laughs> People would come. My reservations would start, you know, coll- you know, coming at the same time. And I remember a comment that Ed made at one point. He's like, "Don't, don't stress, Maria. It's not brain surgery. <laughs> like, in the end, it's not the end of the world. People will understand, and people are understanding. I think that's part of what we offer. Is like things work the way they work, and we're all learning in it together. And not everything is perfect, so it's okay if something slips, if the air conditioning doesn't work, if the extractor goes off one night, and you know, everybody's smelling like." <laughs> <laughs> like Chifa at the end of the night. <laughs> so um, people understand, and I think that's been part of what we've been like really lucky. But in terms of challenge, every, everything has been a huge learning curve, and we've just kind of gone along with it. I mean, I do things. I learn by trial and error at the Food Lens as well. I'm, I'm definitely Googling how to do X, Y, and Z a lot of the time. <laughs> um, but you end up learning. But I'm also curious, do you have a favorite moment or memory um, you know, thus far from Celeste? I remember the very first days when it was so so busy and the restaurant was full of people and music and everybody having a good time. So I have to I have to run to the to the bathroom to cry. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, yeah, it was so 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 unbelievable. And yeah, so I cry a little bit. And then, oh. I, then I come back to my mother, which is I always remember that with a with a big feeling. But now it's, it's more difficult to to that happen. It happens Saturdays in my, in lunch time, but not often like in, in the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> You're a hardened operator now. You just <laughs> make that so used to it. Yeah. It's true though. I mean, before you start something, you hope people will show up, but you don't always know. You, know. you know, you don't really know. And so it's I'm sure it's um really emotional to see the success that you guys have ha- have had. Definitely. I would probably cry as well. I'm a yeah. <laughs> Happy, sad, crying, I do it all. <laughs> I, I, I don't know why I was crying. Obviously, because happiness, but also because I also I am a, a filmmaker, an independent filmmaker with absolutely not success. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I was counting, you know, the very first the very first ceviche that I saw. They said, "Okay, soon it, it will be more people eating my ceviche than watch my my movie." So. <laughs> that was that was very sad too. <laughs> and yeah, so yeah, in, in, in two months, uh, it was easy. 
<laughs> now I uh, lost the count. So that's why we we give um we give a prize for the first first a thousand ceviche. We give a prize for you can eat ceviche for the rest of your life. But Maria, don't let me there. No, for only for one year. <laughs> <laughs> Got to put some regulations on that one. <laughs> that, that's why I'm not successful in making yeah. movies. <laughs> well, you guys sound like a great team, right? Yeah, we actually fight this morning. <laughs> <laughs> All the best teams do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, the project in, in Vermont is uh, looks like a. Um, calm and very very intense especially for maria who um, likes to control every single detail and uh yeah when when she when she's getting more uh intense and getting more more slow (laughs) 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 well we have one more question from another one of our instagram followers his name is sean and he is a part of a husband and wife team and he wants to know Coming from another husband and wife business, we pull lots of inspiration and motivation from one another. What are the most significant ways you two motivate each other? ¿Entiendes la pregunta? No. Que cómo nos cómo nos eh, cómo nos inspiramos el uno al otro para trabajar juntos y seguir adelante. Y lo escribe alguien que trabaja con su esposa. Mm-hmm. Quieren saber como un modelo. Um... Yeah, we basically have very different energy that works together. <laughs> And, um, yeah, yeah, that's the perfect balance. Yeah, you guys balance each other out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's it's nice because Juanma supports me in all my craziness, and that's a good thing. And I support him in all his craziness, and that's a good thing. So we kind of keep track of each other. Um, we also each have our own projects. We have this as a joint project. Most of our projects do end up having a lot of crossover because we like to work together. But Juanma is working independently on his films. I'm working independently on, on architecture projects. And that's also important because we can each go off and do our own thing and then come back and kind of combine forces. But ultimately, it's fun. <laughs> we have a lot of fun together. And so it's we always kind of look for each other to do stuff together. Great. Well, lastly, I would love to wrap it up with our rapid-fire round of questions that we ask everyone on the show. Don't be nervous. They're not hard. (laughs) (laughs) So I would like you to name your favorite Boston dumpling. House of Dumplings. Dive. Oh, dear. Dive? Like a dive Dive. bar. Como un hueco. Daily catch. Dessert. Mm, I don't like... Christina's ice cream. Oh, yeah. I love Christina's ice cream. You don't like sweets. Wow. (laughs) And lastly, date spot. Pammy's? Pammy's. Yeah, oh, that's one of mine too. <laughs> oh, uh, feeling by. Guys, we are thrilled to be hosting Valentine's Day again with Oak Long Bar and Kitchen on February 13th from 6 to 9 p.m. Join us for a night of sipping, snacking, and sweets to celebrate the ladies, all while supporting Women's Lunch Place, a local charity that helps homeless women in Boston. For more information, check out the events calendar on thefoodlens.com. We hope to see you there. This podcast was produced by Ali Pham. A special thanks to the folks at the PRX Podcast Garage. If you enjoyed what you heard, please write us a review on Apple Podcasts or share the show with friends and family. Your help means so much to us. If you haven't already, subscribe to the show and check out thefoodlens.com for the best restaurants, bars, and events in Boston.